All right. Good morning, ladies. We're going to go ahead and get started this morning because we have a whole awful lot of text to cover. Um, before we get into the text, though, I just want to give a few reminders. Um, first of all, congratulations. You have made it through the book of Exodus. Um, that's pretty amazing. Yes, I think that deserves a round of applause. Um, for some of you, that's been 40 chapters worth of material that you have worked through. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I love when we can work our way through an entire book like this. But I also anticipate that you might have been like ready to bail this last week when you saw that you were going to be rereading things that you have already read because this section was awfully repetitive. Um, but we'll talk about why it's repetitive in just a little bit. Um, I do want to remind you um, of just a few things. One, we have a Christmas event that's coming up. It's called Hope of Christmas. Uh, if you've never heard of Hope of Christmas before, that's our Christmas fellowship that we do here at Pathway, um, just for the women here at the church. Um, and so Hope of Christmas is just simply that. It's a, it's a night where we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, we will start... Um, typically, we start gathered together with a time of fellowship where we enjoy um, Christmas cookies together. The cafe will be open. Um, usually, we have some light appetizers. And then we will move into either the venue or the worship center, and we'll have a speaker. This year, it's going to be Susie Layton. Um, and then we will also have some Christmas music. And we keep it very traditional with just simple Christmas carols. And the reason why we do that is because we really encourage people to invite friends, particularly those from outside the church. Um, we see this as an outreach event, and so we don't want it to feel too, like, churchy. We want it to feel something that is accessible to those who are outside the church. So we keep it very familiar Christmas carols um, and just really festive. But then the message really, really points us to the hope that we have in Jesus. So if you have friends that you're like, I, I've been wanting to bring them to church for a really long time, this might be like kind of one of those really awesome ways to get them in the building, but in a way that's a little bit more friendly and comfortable for them, uh, because it is just such a nice, enjoyable evening. Um, so that's December 2nd, and it's going to be from 7 to 9 p.m. There are little cards sitting out by the coffee table, so if you're interested, grab a card. Feel free to grab some for neighbors or friends if you're wanting to invite others with you. Um, the cost is $10 for you, but if you bring a friend from outside the church, their ticket is free. So just know that it is free for anyone that you are inviting from outside the church. We are also collecting for that event for Tiger Paws Ministry. We're going to be making laundry baskets for them like we have in the past. And so you can bring, we have a list of materials on our website, but anything that could go in a laundry basket, um, so laundry detergent, laundry um, fabric softener, dryer sheets, no clothes, but hey, I mean, you know, that might be appreciated. Um, but even coins, like quarters, rolls of quarters we're collecting, devotions, chocolates, things like that. And we're going to put together these nice laundry baskets and take them down to the ladies at Tiger Paws. And they will distribute it to the women there um, who do their laundry at the laundromat that they are near. So that's what we're collecting for, and we're excited about that. The last thing I want to tell you, because this is the last week, please be on the lookout for a survey link from me. Um, it will go out either later today or tomorrow along with the like video and audio that I always send out. That survey is so, so helpful for us. Um, Steve and I will look and we'll read every single one. Um, it's helpful for us just to know for future planning, like what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, we welcome constructive criticism. Tell us what's working or what's not working, um, what was hard for your group or you personally. Um, if you hated the study, if you loved the study, all of that helps us with future planning. 
going with that, a lot of you have asked me where are we going from here. Um, I don't have a study picked out quite yet. Um, a lot of studies are released in December and January, so I've kind of been watching um, and seeing what is coming up. But I will say we're going to move to the New Testament um, and take a break from the Old, and then we will probably circle back to the Old Testament in the fall. So we're going to take a break from Old Testament, do a New Testament book of the Bible, and we will launch sometime at the end of January. So be on the lookout for information about the exact date that we're launching and what we're studying. Um, but I do hope you'll join us for the spring semester. We will go another 10 weeks like we typically do is the plan. Any questions before I roll into study? Because I know I just covered a lot. All right. Well, let's go ahead then and dig into the material. Um, we are covering six chapters today. God bless you for the work that you did this week. Oh, my. It was a lot of reading, um, a lot of repetition. Um, if you felt like you had deja vu, um, it was real. Like, you really did reread entire sections of the text that we already did. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the reason why. First of all, we got to remember that when we see repetition in these historical narratives, it's because one of the reasons why is because these are oral traditions. And so these were being passed down from one generation of Israel to the, to the next through a oral language where they are reminding each other of what has happened. And so this repetition for them was helpful and good. It wouldn't have felt like the way it did for us when we are rereading sections. They would be hearing it again for a second time, but it would be good and helpful reminders. The other thing I think we need to remember is that for the Israelites who were hearing this for the first time, they didn't know the end of the story. We do. We know what happens at the end of this chapter. We know that there is a happy ending. But for the Israelites, they didn't. And they are coming right off of the story of this golden calf that you covered last week with Steve. And so they would have felt this tension of, is God actually going to come and dwell with this people? And so I encourage you that as we read today to try to put yourself in their position and to feel that tension a little bit and to think that question of, is God actually going to come? and dwell with this people because sometimes we can read already knowing the end of the story and we forget to feel what they would have felt. But I do want to just go back for a moment and remind you of what has happened um, from the last week. We saw that God reiterated the covenant with his people, even though they had broken the covenant really before it was even given it to them, right? They're, Moses is receiving the covenant from God up on the mountain, and before he can even make it down, they've already broken it. Um, they were, we see they were cleansed, okay? The people who refused to repent and turn and believe were cleansed from Israel in quite a violent way. We saw that the covenant was rewritten and retaught to the people. Moses got the Ten Commandments again. And then we see the people once again say those words, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And they said yes to the covenant again, and it was again ratified. And so we see this covenant ceremony kind of repeated for the people. And now we're going to see, is this really true? Are the people really going to do all that the Lord commanded. They've said it twice now. The first time they failed miserably. And so here is kind of their second go at it. 
And so we're going to go ahead and jump right into the text, and we're going to begin with chapter 35, verse 1. And before you kind of panic, we are not going to read line by line through the entire text today. We will be doing some skipping, but I encourage you to have your Bible open, because as we skip and jump around, I think it will be helpful for you to have an idea of where we are at in the text. So beginning chapter 35, verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. So just as a reminder, we have heard these commands from the Lord before because he gave them to Moses on the mountain. But this is the first time that the nation of Israel is hearing them because the Lord gave them to Moses on the mountain when he was up on the mountain for those 40 days. And then he comes down from the mountain to give these commands to the people and he sees that spectacle of the golden calf. So before Moses can even tell them what he saw on the mountain, he deals with that first. So this is the first time they are hearing these commands. And so we are going to go through and kind of repeat the commands that Moses heard. Verse 2, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of sol solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle, kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay, so you might be a little confused. Why do we have Sabbath regulations inserted into this section? It's kind of odd because all of the rest of it focuses on the tabernacle. And I think we could point to two reasons. First of all, the Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath, was a sign of their covenant. Every single covenant that the, the Lord makes with a group of people has some kind of sign. So with Noah, it was a sign of the rainbow, and that was God's sign for the people. With Abraham, it was circumcision. How did he know? How did people show that they were followers of the Lord's covenant? They were circumcised. That's how it was shown. For us as believers in the new covenant, we have an outward sign of baptism where we show we are believers of Jesus. This is how we show the world that we abide by the covenant. But for this people, the sign was the Sabbath. That was what was going to set them apart and make them different was they were going to take a solemn Sabbath rest. The other reason why I think it's so interesting that this is inserted right before they start this building project is remember that they were builders in Egypt, but they were builders, they were forced laborers. And so they built for the Egyptians buildings and pyramids and holy temples for their gods. And as they begin to enter into a new type of work, they have a new master now. And I think it's so beautiful that this master reminds them that they are to rest. This is not something that they got in Egypt. That was forced labor, and we saw, if you were with us for the first section, you saw how brutal it was and how their master, Pharaoh, said, I'm going to increase their work to suppress them. But now they have this new master, their Lord and Savior, and as they get ready to build his house, the Lord says to them, no, you're going to be a people who rest. He is a good master who cares for his people. And so before they even begin this building project, he reminds them of their need for rest. Verse 4, we are going to go ahead and enter into the start of the building, but if you've ever seen any type of building campaign, if you've been around Pathway long enough, you know that a building project starts with a campaign for what? 
funds. So we're going to see here this campaign for, for funds, and this is actually fulfilling what Moses was told to do in chapter 25 when he was up on the mountain, that he was to take an offering. So verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin and goat skin, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and fragrant for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones for the setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece. So we should recognize all this list of materials. We've heard them before because we heard these, these materials given to Moses as a command when he was up on the mountain seeing that heavenly reality of what the tabernacle would look like on earth. So these lists of materials should not be a surprise to us. But notice that God, God um, when Moses goes to give these instructions to the people, he doesn't just gather like the most wealthy or the most skilled. It says to all of the congregation. So everybody is invited to participate in this project. And he also reminds the people, he says, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Remember at the beginning, we said that the people said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And so Moses is coming to them saying, okay, you've said this. This is a lo what the Lord has commanded. And basically, let's see if you will do what you say. Beginning in verse 10, Moses also makes a call for people. Not only do they need materials to build this, campaign, this building, but they also need people to do it as well. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hook and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. The table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for light with its utensils and lamps. The oil for, its, for the light. And the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. And the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils. The basin and its stand. The hangings of the court, its pillars, its bases and the screen for the gate of the court. The pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, the garments of his sons for their service as the priests. So we have now a call for materials. We have a call for, for people to step up and to serve. And both are needed in order to finish this building campaign, in order to create this he heavenly dwelling place for the Lord. And so then we move to verse 20, and we should be starting to ask the question in our heads of how are the people going to respond? Are they really going to do all that the Lord should, all that the Lord commanded? And we know that as believers in Jesus, that when the Lord initiates something with us, when he prompts us to respond, that the right response is to respond, whether it is through the generosity of giving of our resources or of our time. So let's see how they do respond. Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all its servants and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, 
all who are of willing heart bro brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, and every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the, wor in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had, spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So in your homework this week, you went through that section of the text and you were to mark all of the alls and everys and everyones and both. And the purpose of that assignment was to be able to see that they obeyed. Everyone participated. This was not just something where a few people begrudgingly came forward and did what the Lord commanded. This was a nationwide obedience that we are seeing. And I want to just pull out just a few things here. We see that both men and women contributed and participated, not just in the giving, but in the participating of the building project. We see that the women were involved in the spinning and the, and the knitting of this as well. We see, repeatedly, um, we see repeatedly that this is a voluntary offering, a free will offering. Anyone whose hearts stirred them, this was not required of the people but they generously stepped up and gave. And we also see that everything that was done was made for God and for his glory. This was not a process where people were looking to exalt themselves. And I think it's so beautiful in here that when we look at the people who helped to contribute, we only are going to get a few names. The rest are nameless. We don't know who they were, but we know that the entire nation was working on this project. So we have the plans for the tabernacle already given to Moses. He has the blueprint. We have that the people have been invited to participate. So now we need some special people to lead. We, in a sense, need some project managers to lead this charge and help Moses out. So verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for, every, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach of the tribe of, Ju of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by the engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So we see here, and Steve pointed this out to us last week, that this is the first instance where we see a person in the Bible filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes down and he fills these men with the skills that they need in order to complete the work that God has given him. And I think it's so cool here because 
we see at the beginning, we know that there's a lot of creation story, e- story echoes throughout this. And I just want to take us back to Genesis 1. Before God began his work of creating the world, before he actually spoke and told the world what to do, um, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the empty waters, over the chaos. And that's what we're seeing here. Before this building project begins, before these men began to speak commands and tell them how to build this building, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on them and gives them the skills that they need in order to do so. And so we see some parallels here already. And notice that they won't be the only ones doing the work, that one of the things the Holy Spirit has equipped them to do is to teach others. They've been inspired to teach. And so they're going to go around and teach the rest of the nation and equip them so that they can join in the work as well. They're going to train up others to do the work. Chapter 36. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So again, all of these skilled workers who have these special and unique gifts are not going to be using them for their own glory, for their own self-exaltation. They're going to be using them for the work of the Lord. They're using their skills to bring him glory and in accordance to what he has already ordained. All that they are going to do is as the Lord has commanded. And we're going to see that phrase repeated here in a little bit. Verse 2. We should already be thinking a little bit of the question of how did this call for donations go? Because we saw that voluntary offering laid out to the people. We saw the people scatter and say they're going to do as the Lord commanded. And now we're going to see the results of what they went to do. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put the skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come up to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. How amazing is that? This people who had just had such an utter failure with the golden calf were restrained from doing good. God had, God had, Moses had to go to them and say, you need to stop. You've brought more than enough. And we see here that grace is such an unbelievable motivation for giving. When God extended that grace to them after the golden calf episode, the people's hearts were stirred to want to serve their Lord. They are not serving from obligation here. They are serving out of hearts of gratitude. And how amazing would it be to know, be known as a people who are this generous? So it is now time to build, beginning in chapter 36, verse 8. 
And just a few things with this tabernacle. It probably took about six months to actually build all the things that needed were needed for the tabernacle. So the coverings and all the tents and um, the structure of it and all the furniture inside. And as we read this, we're going to see that each section, and we're not going to read line by line through this, but as we go through it, you're going to see that each section is kind of named. But that doesn't mean that multiple teams weren't working at once. It is probably much more likely that there were individual individual groups that are overseeing each of the stages of this tabernacle building, and they were working in conjunction with each other. We've already read the, this section um, in chapters 25 through 31. So we saw these commands of how to build this tabernacle given to Moses up on the mountain. And in that section, it went in a particular order. And maybe as you noticed, you saw that the commands were repeated, but the order was different. So when Moses was up on the mountain, God gave him the instructions for the ark first, and then he moved all the way to the courtyard. And so God started with the thing that was most precious, most important, most holy, and then worked his way out from there. However, here in chapters 36 through 40, we're going to see a different order. We're going to see the order given in which they were probably begun or started to work on by the Israelites. And so we're going to see that it's actually flipped here. And they're going to start instead with the tent and the structure and then move to the furniture pieces. So the order is a little different. But I think if we think of a building project, like if I were to design a home, I would probably start for me at the kitchen. It's the most important part of my home. It's the area I spend the most time in. It's where my family gathers the most. But when a crew would go to begin to work, they're not going to start by building the kitchen. They're going to start with the framework. And so that's what we're seeing here, and that's why the order is slightly different. And so we're going to work our way through this, and you can just follow along in your text. But in chapter 36, verses 8 through 12, we get the commands for the building of the tent, and we see that the people begin to fulfill that command. In um, verses 14 through 19, they begin the curtains for the ceiling. And then in 20 through 34, we see that they begin to build the support structure. And while, that is, while they are making that, they are also probably simultaneously, again, working on those curtains. Then in verse 35 of chapter 36, we see the construction of that holy veil. And I just want to read this for us as a reminder. Verse 35 said, he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, which cherubim skillfully worked into it, he made it. And for it, he had made four pillars of acacia and overlaid with them with gold. Their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four bases of silver. So we have this veil, and as a reminder, this is the veil that would have gone between the holy place and the most holy place. And we see here mentioned again that cherubim that is going to be embroidered into the curtain so that each time the high priest once a year would go to enter into that room, he would see that cherubim and be reminded that he was entering into the throne room of God. Verse 37, we see the, the making of the curtain for the entrance of the tabernacle. He also made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, embroidered with needlework and its five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals, their fillets were of gold, but their five bases were of bronze. I think it's important for us to remember this, this entrance of this tent, this curtain would have gone in the front. And so as the people were making these things and giving these contributions, that curtain was eventually going to block their view of anything in the tabernacle. And I think that's incredible. This is not a building that the people were going to enjoy. 
they weren't going to walk into the tabernacle and see the gold that they had donated. They weren't going to walk in and enjoy the beautiful curtains that they were going to make because that was going to be covered up by the tent and by this gate at the front. These people would have probably never entered into the tabernacle, but yet they freely gave because they were making it for the house of their Lord. Chapter 37. So now that we have the tent completed, the curtains are completed, the structure is done, they begin to do the construction of the furniture that's going to go inside. Chapter 37, verse 1, begins like this. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. So I think it's interesting. This is the only builder that we get named and told actually who made it. For the rest, we just get the pronoun he. We don't know who he is. We don't know what particular workers worked with each piece. But here we're told that the chief builder, the one who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, is the one who is going to be entrusted with the most precious object. And so he begins to work on the ark, that throne of God Then in verse 10, we see that the table is constructed. And as a reminder, that table holds the bread of the presence, which is representing the needs of the nation of Israel. In verse 17, we see the making of the lampstand. And we need to be reminded that that lampstand was going to be shining a continual light, that it was going to show the people of Israel that God was always with them. The altar of incense was made in verse 25, which, if you remember, would be lit. Um, The incense would be lit every morning and every evening, and it would symbolize the prayers of the people rising up to the Lord as an offering. And then we see that we move in chapter 38 to the outer courtyard. Okay, this is where the people of Israel would be able to see the materials and would be able to enter. And so in the outer courtyard, we see the making of the altar of burnt offerings, And then in verse 8, we see the making of the bronze basin. And I just want to spend a little time on this bronze basin because I think there's some cool things here. Um, Verse 8 says, He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze for the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So we've read that before when we were talking about the bronze basin, and we talked about these mirrors, but I also want to just pay some t- spend some time on these women. These are women who are told were ministering at the t- entrance of the tent of meeting. So that tells us they would have stood right outside of the entrance of the tabernacle, and they were doing some type of work. We don't know exactly what it was. We weren't told that, um, but they were probably involved in some type of work where they helped the priests. They could have been helping to clean the garment, or, or fetch water for this basin. They might have been doing cleanup from the sacrifices. They might have just been greeting worshipers. We don't know, but we do know that this was a practice that was continued because they're also referenced in the book of 1 Samuel. And so this work that the women were doing was something that stayed throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And I think it's also important for us to think about these mirrors and where they came from. These people were once enslaved, People who are in slavery, my guess would be, don't, would not have owned mirrors. A mirror would have been a very precious possession. And so these women who had these mirrors probably got them in the plundering of the Egyptians during the Exodus event. And I'm guessing these were mirrors that they watched their masters use for years and probably were quite jealous of. If you're a woman, you probably know it's nice to be able to look at your reflection and see what you look like. And these women get these mirrors, and I would guess that they would be a prized possession. Something that their masters in Egypt once had, they now own. 
but they give them up for this construction process of the Lord. And my guess is is that they realized and they saw something that was much more beautiful than their own reflection in the Lord. And so they gave them up for his house. We see beginning in verse 9, the construction of that large outer courtyard itself. And then beginning in verse 21, we get this record of some of the materials that were collected for the tabernacle. And so we take a break from the building process um, and we get instead the materials for the tabernacle beginning in verse 21. It says this, these are the records of the tabernacle the tabernacle of the testimony as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priests. So we see here a couple different things. First, we get a new name for the tabernacle. It's called the tabernacle of the testimony. So now we have three names for the same building. We've heard tabernacle, we've heard tent of meeting, and now tabernacle of the testimony, or some translations say tabernacle of the covenant. And so it's just a reminder of what is housed in there. But we also learn here that it was the Levites. It was the tribe of Levi who were commanded to keep track of the materials that were coming and going. They were the ones who kept record of it. And it shows us how much they sought to be good stewards of all that was donated and given to them. Verse 22 Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a designer, an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. So we have here three different tribes of Israel that are named for us, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Dan. And it's just a reminder for us that this was a nationwide project. This was not just one single tribe that was being called to do this work, but all of the people of Israel were repeating, were were asked to contribute. Then we see this call or this um, this, um, account for all of the medals that were donated. And in your homework, you were asked to do some math. I see some glares (laughs) over math. Some of you were taken back to math class. If you skipped it, I do not blame you. Um, Oh my. So hopefully you were able to complete that math assignment. Um, And if not, I will give you some of the answers here. Um, These are not exact, but you should have calculated that there was over 2,000 pounds of gold collected over 2,000 pounds. That's incredible. For silver, you should have come up with over 7,500 pounds of silver. Now, I want to draw your attention to one thing here with the silver. This is in verse 25 to 26 through 26. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was a hundred talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca ahead, that is half a shekel, you should remember that, that is half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who is listed in the records from 20 years old upward for 603,550 men. 
You remember in um, chapter 30 where we had the requirement for the census tax, and every man who was over 21 years of age or 20 years of age was asked to give a half shekel as a contribution for the upkeeping of the tabernacle. And so we see here that this offering is included in what was collected for the sanctuary. So the people obeyed that command, and this is the only part of the, of the offering for the tabernacle that was required or commanded. All of the rest was voluntary, but we do have that census tax included in that number of silver. Then we see that we have over 5,000 pounds of bronze. So why do we have this itemized list of the metals? Why do we get exactly how much they donated when we don't get that for the other materials? And I can come up with maybe two thoughts on that. First of all, these metals were costly. This would have probably been some of the most precious things that they owned. And so it shows us just how generous the people of Israel were. Secondly, metals like this, gold, silver, and bronze, are lavish. These are beautiful things. And so it shows us the beauty of what was going to be the tabernacle, particularly the inside. All right, we're going to go ahead and look now at the making of the priestly garments. We're in chapter 39, making our way through. And I want to just remind you before we move into this section a little bit of where we saw Aaron last. Because these making of the priestly garments are going to be for Aaron and his sons. The last time we saw Aaron, he had led his, the people of the nation of Israel into sin. He had set up an alternative form of worship that the Lord had not ordained, and he violated the second command. If there was anyone who should be disqualified for leadership, man, I feel like Aaron should have been. I don't know about you, but this is amazing to me that God is going to take Aaron and his sons, and he's going to return them to the calling that they just desecrated. And we're going to see that one of the first things he does is he starts by creating for them, having the people create for them these clothes. And remember that we often talk about how clothing is an outward sign of an inner condition. And so it's like the Lord is renewing in them the right spirit of what it looks like to serve him. And so beginning in chapter 39, we see that the first thing the Lord does is he has them get new clothes. And so starting in 39 verse 1, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for the ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So we're going to count this phrase. Then in chapter 39, verses 2 through 5, we see the making of the ephod. And at the end of verse 5, we see again, as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter Verses 6 through 7, we see the setting of stones for the ephod. And we see again at the end of verse 7. As the Lord commanded Moses. We see in chapter 39, verses 8 through 21, the making of the breast piece. And then we see at the end of verse 21 again, as the Lord commanded Moses. That's four. Chapters or verses 22 through 26, we see the making of the robe. At the end of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. That's five. Uh, verses 27 through 29, we see the turban. At the end of 27, we see, as the Lord commanded Moses. I think I'm supposed to do like this. That's how people show me how to count when you have no fingers. And then in 30 through 31, we see the plate for the turban. And again, as the Lord commanded Moses, seven times. Hopefully that doesn't surprise you. Seven times we see the, that command, 
as the Lord commanded Moses. Remember what the people said they were going to do? All that the Lord commanded. How did they obey? Perfectly. As the Lord commanded Moses, seven times we see that. This, again, is a recall to the creation story. In the creation story, as the Lord does each stage of the creation, he speaks something into being seven times. And God said, let there be light. And we see that seven times throughout the story until we get to the Sabbath day. And then we're told that the creation work is finished. So let's take a a look here at verse 32. It says, thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. We see that the creation is done. And then it says, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. They had obeyed. They had perfectly obeyed the commands of the Lord. So now that the work of the tabernacle is finished, we need to see if it's going to pass inspection. They're going to take each piece of the tabernacle, and they're going to bring it before Moses, because remember, Moses is the only one who has the building plans. He has seen that vision from the Lord, and he is going to check to make sure that each piece of the tabernacle was made according to what the Lord had said. And so this is very important, because it's not, if it's not made exactly, this is endangerment to the nation of Israel. And so we see that every item of the tabernacle in chapter 39, verses 33 through 41, is brought to Moses from the utensils to the peg to the ark itself. And then we see in verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded it, so they had done it. And then Moses blessed them. This is an echo of the creation story where we hear the Lord create something and say, it was good. Moses sees the work and says, you've done it. It is good. And so beginning in chapter 40, we're going to see that the tabernacle is going to be now erected. It had, the materials have been made and now they need to set it up. Verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. So the tabernacle is going to be brought up on the anniversary of their exodus from Egypt. If you were with us last semester, you know that when the people celebrated the Passover and they were leaving Egypt, God came to them and said, this is going to be a new calendar year for you. You are a new nation, and now you have a new calendar. And this is the first day of the first month. And so they are going to set up the tent on the anniversary of being out of Egypt for one year. And we're told here that they're doing it in a day. This is a tabernacle. All these materials are going to be set up in one day, and we know that has to be possible because they're going to be a nation on the move. So in chapter 40, verses 3 through 15, we get the commands for how this is going to be done. And so God tells Moses, you shall put, and he lists all the materials they are to do. And then in verses 16 through 33, we see the fulfillment of that. Moses did... according to all that the Lord had commanded, okay? So we have the commands first and then the fulfillment. So let's count again all of those phrases of all that the Lord had commanded. So beginning in verse 16, we see our first, all that the Lord had commanded. 
We see it again in chapter 19, that's 2. We see our third in verse 23, our fourth in verse 25. We see our fifth in verse 27, our sixth in verse 29. And finally, in verse 32, our seventh, as the Lord had commanded. Again, it's no surprise. Seven times they perfectly did all that the Lord had commanded. Verse 33, and he erected the cord around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. We get this phrase here of it was finished. It was good. And now we're going to see that God is going to pronounce this work as good. And he's going to come and descend upon the tabernacle and rest with his people. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This cloud that comes down is the same cloud that guided them through the wilderness, that was seen on Mount Sinai. It is the same cloud that was coming down onto the t- that temporary tent of meeting that was set up outside the camp. The people know what this is. They know that this is their God, that this is a manifestation of his presence, and he is coming to dwell with them. They know that this is what sets them apart from every other nation around them. Verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this this unable to enter into the tent was a temporary thing. Moses is eventually going to be able to enter into the tabernacle, as are some of the priests. But in Leviticus, the Lord is going to set up for them rules for how that is to happen. And so before they get those rules from the Lord, they cannot enter the tent. Verse 36, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. And so we see here that when they, when they are to move, the cloud is going to rise. When they are to stay in camp, it will be settled, settled on the, ta- the tabernacle. Verse 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. And so we have this reminder that any time the Israelites looked at the center of camp and saw that tent, well, whether it was by day or by night, there was a visual reminder that the Lord was there in their presence. This God of power that we've seen throughout this story, who promised to save his people from Israel, this God of justice who, who plagued the Egyptians, this God of love who made a covenant and kept it with his people, this God of provision who gave them manna, bread, when they were hungry, this God of truth who gave them his perfect law, this God of mercy who atoned for their sins when they messed up, this God of holiness who showed them what it looked like to allow him to dwell in their presence, this God was present with his people in glory. And so when the people looked at the tabernacle, they saw that their God was at home. And what a beautiful, beautiful representation that is. We've talked um, for this whole entire semester how Exodus is so beautifully fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And we've also talked about how there are things that still are not fulfilled in this book that we are waiting for to come. But I also just want to draw out a few reminders for you of how it parallels our own lives as well. Just like the people of Israel, we were once slaves to sin. 
Just like the people of Israel, we have been delivered from sin by our Passover lamb, Jesus. And just like they were washed by the waters of the Red Sea after they were delivered, we are washed in the waters of baptism. God led the people of Israel through the wilderness by that cloud of fire and by that cloud by the cloud and by the fire and we know that he also leads us by his holy spirit when we are in the wilderness of our earthly journey. Just like the Israelites, we have seen for ourselves that we serve a God who does not leave us and does not forsake us. And we know that he tabernacles with us just like he did here with the people of Israel that he shines his light through us, just like he's shown in that tabernacle tent for them. And I think it's so beautiful that Moses' work of the tabernacle ends with those words of, it is finished. Because we know that the work of Jesus is marked by the same thing. When his work is done, he hangs on the cross and says, it is finished. And just like Moses says those words, and then the glory of God descends on the tabernacle we know that we're waiting for the day when Jesus is going to descend and dwell with us again. I want to close just by reading for us um, from 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the ESV here, and it says, I'm actually going to replace the word tent with tabernacle just because it fits with what we're saying. But as a reminder, we've read this before, and this is where Paul is talking about his body, but he uses the word tent instead. So it says, for we know that if the tabernacle, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tabernacle we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tabernacle, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. I think it's so important to recognize that God would have done this work of the tabernacle with the people's cooperation or not. We see that all throughout the story of Israel. God will, will, will do his will, whether we, we cooperate or not. But what a beautiful reminder this is of how beautiful it is when God's people cooperate with his will, when we do all that the Lord has commanded. And if we look at verse 9 here of 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And that's my prayer for us today, that we would be a people who cooperate with the, what the Lord has for us to do, that in our earthly bodies, in our tabernacles, we would do all that the Lord has commanded. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we've learned studying your book this semester. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the things that we're still waiting for, for the fulfillment that is to come. We thank you, Lord, that this tabernacle was just a shadow of what's to come, that we are someday going to enjoy a glory far greater than anything the Israelites experienced while they watched you descend in their tabernacle. 
that even though we have you here in each of us today, and we are all mini tabernacles, we thank you, Lord, that we are anticipating a day when we're going to have new heavenly bodies and we're going to serve you without hindrance, um, without the burden of sin, and without the burden of bodies that are just not what they should be. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. I pray your blessing upon these, these women, Lord, as they go off into their small groups, and I pray, Lord, that their fellowship would be encouraging to themselves, and I pray, Lord, that their conversation would be glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, ladies. You are dismissed. Please get yourself some coffee and some tea, whatever you'd like, before you move into your small group room.